0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com.
0: This week on Meet and Three, it's our season four finale, and we're sharing some of our greatest kitchen joys. Maybe most people consider making it too much work or too messy, but this is the food that's worth the work and worth the wait. You always know where the thing is because you put it away the right way the first time.
2: You just sort of stand there and you know, with your hand on your hip and one leg outstretched, glass of you, wine in your hand. Staring into the refrigerator going, okay, speak to me.
3: Oh, yeah. What are you doing with the celery tonight? I'm making a simple syrup for a gin cocktail with the celery. And I also found a recipe for a celery soup that's going to use up the celery and the potatoes and some of that dill that we still have hanging out in there.
0: <laughs> Tune in and be inspired to find the joy in your kitchen. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Welcome to Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. We are your hosts. I am Jenny Goodman.
4: And I'm Alex McCreary.
2: Opening Soon is a weekly show that will walk you through all the steps of opening a restaurant. We're having conversations with some of the world's greatest chefs and restaurateurs, like Camilla, who's here today, and some vendors who will help take your restaurant idea from an idea to opening soon.
4: If uh, if you don't know us already, then go back to season one, listen to uh, who we are and, and that intro, because I said it 13 times last season. I'm not going to say it every time this season because it brings a tear to my eye every time <laughs> I do. We are failed restaurateurs. Um But now we're successful uh, workwear makers for Till at NYC. And we're really excited to be here for season two. We, we made it past the first season. They invited us back. And we've got Yay. some great people coming in to chit-chat about um, what it takes to open a restaurant. And so we'll be doing a little bit deeper dive this season And if you missed anything from last season, of course, you can always check it on our blog. And if you missed the current episode, you can do the same thing there. But uh, today we are talking about uh, one of the most requested topics from last season and in the interim is financing and how to get money for your new restaurant. Um, Restaurants notoriously have slim margins, and most of us do not have a stack of cash under our bed. But that would
2: be nice. Yes, it would. (laughs)
4: Um, So how do you fund your project? What are potential investors looking for in your business plan? And sometimes more importantly, what are they looking for in you?
2: Right. So today, our guest is Camilla Marcus. She is the founder and owner-operator of Westbourne and Soho. It's accidentally vegetarian, right? But decidedly very mindful. They have a what we like to call a triple bottom line um, mission. So before having Westbourne, though, Camilla was the director of business development at USHG. She is also an active angel investor and the co-founder of Tech Table. So welcome, Camilla. Thank you for welcome. coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're excited to talk. You know, finance. tax. Yes, tax. <laughs> Get into it. Cash—the four-letter word. <laughs> the four-letter word that we all need and want. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about like your startup journey, how you came to like come into being in restaurants and and opening Westbourne.
3: Um, I always sort of say I'm a little bit of a reluctant entrepreneur, which is funny. Um, I. I started in restaurants really young. I mean, I guess not that young compared to other people in the business, but um, kind of fresh out of college. I always loved to cook. I really loved hospitality. No one in my family is interested in food whatsoever. And I was like the kid that was downing, you know, uni and quail eggs, at, <laughs> you know, in little Tokyo and LA. And my parents are like, who's this, Who is this person? Alien? Yeah. Like, why is she into this? Um, and when I graduated college, went straight to the French Culinary Institute, which is now ICC. Um, and just really fell in love with it. I love the people. I love I love taking care of others. Mm-hmm. I liked, you know, it really combines everything. You need a little bit of math, a little bit of science, a little bit of art, you know, a little bit of intuition. And just loved how dynamic it was. Um, you know, wasn't really sure. I always say I'm so envious of those people who just sort of know their path. Like, yeah. Honestly, I have such admiration and, <laughs> and jealousy probably of You know, chefs who started cooking when they were in their teen years, and it's just like that was the raceway. They knew it. They got on a speedboat, and it was just off from there. I've always had very multidimensional interests, and it really was a long time to figure out, like, what works, what my place was. So I did a lot of everything. When I was in culinary school... I worked in management and operations as an intern um, during the day uh, while I was in culinary school at Del Anima in their first year. Right. So I know a lot about <laughs> startup, the first year friction. Yeah. Um, then ended up working more on the development, sort of construction, conception side um, in helping to open River Park with Tom Colicchio. Uh Ended up at a private equity fund for a while and then director of business development for Danny Meyer's uh, Union Square Hospitality Group. Um, During a pretty sort of dynamic transitional time in the company's history. Um, You know, as far as my startup story, you know, I was actually working on sort of a consulting project while I was at USHG. We were trying to help someone conceive of this business. And my dad finally was like, you know, you talk a lot about this, like, 1% project (laughs) that like really shouldn't be so much of what you discuss. You know, have you thought of that? And I said, well, I don't know. Um, that person ended up not really doing that business quite the way we talked about, and sort of pivoted and did something else. And so, you know, my dad was like, "Why not? Like, you seem very into this. Your ideas seem to be really working for other people. Like, have you maybe thought of Just doing it doing for it yourself?" You're yourself. Ideas, so you, so right? you're having other like, people
1: exactly.
2: so basically you're telling other people your dream restaurant, and then of doing it yourself. <laughs> Sort of. I mean, you know,
3: and I'd already been investing for about 10 years in a lot of different types of businesses, you know, including some restaurants. And, you know, he just was like, you seem semi good at this, even though this is a world I know nothing about. And, you know, like my dad cried when he saw me in culinary school. He was like, (laughs) like, why did you do this? Um, (laughs) But, you know, he was like, I don't know. Think about it. So he literally wrote me an email every day for a month that just I love shoe dog. I love the Mm -hmm. sort of story of Nike Nike. because it's just, you know, it's really an accidental brand ultimately. And he just wrote, just do it in an email every day for a month. And finally I was like, all (laughs) right, I (laughs) got it. Yeah. And so, I mean, really it took about 18 months, not just to get open from, you know, conceiving it, sort of convincing myself, putting the right pieces in place, getting our team together and finding a space took forever, which I've been on a million podcasts talking about the pain of real estate. Real estate. We have, we, ha- we real. have one of those with the ladies Great. from Ovenly from, from yes. last season.
2: So go back and listen to episode three. That was, a, a yeah. Aaron <laughs> Petitkin has a lot to oh, say yeah. about real estate.
3: So really, you know, and I was patient and it took a long time. So, you know, it, it was a while and being sort of a one man band and yeah. putting together a team. I mean, even very close friends in this business who, you know, you all know and love a lot. Sort of said to me like, Don't "Your idea it. is crazy." Yeah. Not even that. I mean, we do everything differently in yeah. a restaurant, top to bottom, and everyone said like, "You're not a known quantity. No one knows who you are." You know, you don't have a backer, you don't have a name, Right. you know, this is sort of this weird experiment, like just full disclosure, we think no one's going to work for you. And I was like, thanks so much. Now I have to do it even more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling totally that person. This who, is friends telling who, you friends their colleagues? You okay. So when you, so you like friends friends? And ex- and those experience, <laughs> you know, I think really just like okay. watching out and I get it. It is a really high risk industry. It's right. difficult. Yeah. But you know, I, and I totally get it. And you know what? They were right on all those things. Like, yeah, but you I have, but was... By the way,
2: Camilla always has a full restaurant, so they were wrong
3: too. <laughs> so
2: that's no, but I mean, look, you give,
3: you I'll start with that really because, you know, anyone listening to this, like advice you got to take with a grain of salt. Right. And I always tell people like, it's when I'm one person's opinion, right? I might see things like a lunatic. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, but it's good to get data points and yeah. it's good to see what other people think but ultimately you know you're the one that has to live and die right. by the consequences and you have to be willing to it's you know risk. live or leap so yeah. yeah
2: so I mean that's interesting it's helpful
3: because it convinced me more more to do it I'm also my husband always tells me if you want to get me to do something tell Not me I right yeah. I'm the youngest so I'm like it. a total fighter <laughs> so. I got it I got this now it's like anytime my team teases me they're like you just don't hear the word no I'm like <laughs> no I hear no and it's like it has to be it this. has to yeah yeah you're so, like no it's, it's lots probably of shades of gray that. exactly
2: no but that's I mean that's an interesting thing so you you do things differently and you approach things in a different way it was like you're previous business training is that did you take that to like de-risk some of what you were going to do with Westbourne and you know how did you know to say no to what other advisors were telling you and what did you do to sort of say I'm going to make this work and these are what the things I'm going to put in place
3: I think it's sort of experience taught me I have a pretty good intuition and I started feeling that way you know when I first started investing I was in my early 20s and you know sort of small things like I didn't have any money at the time so it's like okay small little things but I have a really good gut, and it took probably a decade for me to actually believe that and to not be convinced by other people. Um, I think for me, it's about taking in as much data as I can, and I do this pretty much with every business decision in general. You take in a lot of different data. You try and have it be as broad based and diverse. I always say, like, yeah, you have advice from your friends, but also ask people who don't know you. Ask people who that's really valuable. Might not like you. You know, it's really actually helpful to get a broad swath, and then ultimately. You kind of have to read the tea leaves. I'm very LA in that way. I'm very. <laughs> Did you just say read the tea
2: leaves? For I, the, do. Um, I, I, I do.
3: I do believe in intuition. Yeah. I think that the most, your biggest competitive advantage as an entrepreneur, no matter what your business is, mm-hmm. is you, your instinct, how you see things and how you approach things. That's the only thing that someone can't replicate, especially in restaurants and hospitality. Yeah, Nothing's that's patentable. True. You know, there's very low technical barriers to entry, although right. it's. High barriers to success. Yep. Um, and really, all that you have is yourself. It's talent. The, yeah. And yeah. the best advice I got, interestingly, <laughs> so Richard Crane, who is my boss at um, USHG, who taught me so much. Yeah. I always would say, like, okay, we're doing this thing, like, you know, what's the moat? Like, what's protectable? And he would always say, look, at the end of the day, like, we're all serving food in places with a lot of the same tools. It's right. like there's all different categories of tools. We all kind of have the same levers, but no one's Danny. Right? We have Danny. Yeah. And that's different. That is the difference so, in the hospitality industry than anything else. Because I
2: mean that's like a very business school thing to say. What can we protect? Right? Like what is uniquely ours, but it's true. It's like it's really talent based. It's zero. It really it's like
3: Well, it's talent based, but it's also it you know, people people who know me from growing up know well. Like I'm very I'm very publicly shy. Like, I have major stage fright anytime you see You're me. You're not shy. <laughs> sweat head to toe, promise you. I actually really don't enjoy it at all. I don't love to be photographed. I get nervous with every the interview. photographing, I know. I don't. She looks cool as a cucumber right now, guys. <laughs> Everybody at Roberta is <laughs> like, who is this glowing woman? Nice. Come on. <laughs> you know, so for me, but I also recognized early on, people like to... People want to interact with people. Yeah. It's not just a product. It's not the food. It's not just the music. It's really the whole package and feeling that a human is taking care of you. And I think as a leader, part of that is also being the magnet for other talent. Like you can't do it all yourself, especially in a restaurant. And I think a lot of people come into this business without realizing it is all about people, period. Your guests, your team, yourself, your financial partners, and ultimately, you have to love people and you have to believe that you are a really good magnet for people. And that's kind of what it comes down to.
2: Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about like projects that you've invested in and, you know, what, what do you, when people come to you with a business plan, what are you looking for? What do you not want to see and what makes you get excited about a, a project?
3: So for restaurants specifically, you know, again, I said, it's all about people first and foremost, the person and the team. The number one question I, because ideas move and change and, you know, evolve and restaurants evolve, you know, what you start with, what you launch with may or may not be what sticks. It may work. It may not. The question is really like, who's driving the ship and are they going to drive it towards success? Because all the other factors are really out of their control and they're going to have to make adjustments. Mm -hmm. Do I believe that this person, no matter what, is going to make this work, you know, and doesn't really matter if v1 works or not if as long as they're the right person so the the number one question i always ask someone is why are you doing this you could do anything you're yeah. smart you're capable you're obviously talented you're creative all the reasons that you'd want to go into this but why you know and a lot of times especially now i'm sure you guys see it, there's a lot of people who go into restaurants for vanity now as owners yeah like a lot of people with a lot of money who are like yeah it looks easy i always say it's the only industry where like, I don't go to the dentist, get my teeth cleaned, and I'm like, man, I am a dentist. I could, be, I could do this shit. Like, yeah. I am not going home and be like, man, I don't need her. Like, yeah. people eat people, in restaurants and they leave and they're like, I, I could, could do, do this. this. I'm like, I know. What? is going on. I know. You know, people are like, well, I love restaurants. And I go, so you like being served. Right. You don't like taking care of
2: others. That is not the same thing. We had a friend who lives on the Upper West Side a couple years ago who contacted us and we're like, he was like, I have five kids now and I really want to be able to to go out to eat at a place all the time. And he was like, can you connect me with anybody? Meanwhile, he's in like... Tech and has no restaurant experience. We connected him with like one resource and he called us back. He's like, Yeah, I'm scared. No, thanks.
3: (laughs) Well, I think, again, there's all different reasons. And what I'm personally looking for as an investor is, you know, traditional investing, the rule of thumb is, you know, product, market, founder fit. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the founder is the most important because the founder is the one that's going to make the product fit the market. One, I want to know do they understand the market? Do they understand what they're actually trying to do? And how does it compared to the competitive landscape. I mean
4: So you're not saying like you're just gonna meet someone and trust their character and that they're like saying I'm gonna do everything <laughs> it takes and then they give you this business plan and numbers are all over the place and the locations are terrible and those kind of things, right? So That's step
3: two. To be more, honest, the first and foremost gaining question for me is are they the right person for this? Are right. they doing it for the right reason? Do they have the skill set to get it done? And that doesn't mean doesn't mean you have to know about food. I mean there's a million different leaders that have different core skill sets, but again, I kind of look for that magnet and like doing it for the right reason and also seeing what the opportunity really is in an authentic way. That to me is the gating issue. Then you get into the business plan and the product market fit. But ultimately if like, you know, I think people totally know authenticity. They may not be able to express it. They can't quantify it. They can't tell you, but you walk into a restaurant, you know, whether, you know, you know whether the lines are lining up. You right. know whether it feels real. You may not be able to put your finger on it, but if I asked you, would you go back? You know the answer is yes or no, and that's based on all these little data points right. of your experience. And ultimately, that comes down to the person: like, do they understand, and can they create that experience? Um, so that's first, and that part of it is, are they going to be able to attract and retain a team? are they going to be able to finish the fundraising round? That all comes with that person because it's just an idea on paper at that point. And also everything in the business plan and paper can also be fixed. Right. What you can't fix is making them a different human. Right. That's
2: true. And I think that carries through for whether or not you're a restaurant business or any other kind of business. It's like the founder is always so, so important. So you know, how do you, so for founders of restaurants who don't necessarily have a huge network and, you know, have been working in these like chef jobs for a long time, which maybe don't have the highest paid salaries, how can they find people who are investors and put themselves out there so that people know that, hey, this person does have what it takes? I right. And that kind
4: of second part to that, were the ones that you've invested in, did those people find you or did you find them? Is there a mix in there?
3: Um So I'll answer the second one first. I've always done restaurants with folks that I know and a lot of whom I've worked with. For me, I and what I tell most people is I own my own restaurant now and I like to keep a diversified portfolio. So the truth is I'll only really do a restaurant investment if it's something I really believe in or someone that I know and... And maybe can help. I mean, I really won't do any investments where I can't be strategic, but more importantly, you know, if it helps them start the ball rolling, you know, a lot of it is getting those first couple commitments and checks of saying, Hey, this person who everyone knows oh, yeah. is shrewd, is active, is, you know, discerning, like that's gonna people like to invest in those clusters. Yeah. So it does so go true. a long way. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll say, look, I may not be your biggest check, but if it's helpful to have my advice, have my participation you know, I'm happy to talk about it. A lot of times I'll say, look, I'll be an advisor. Like, you don't even have to take my money or worry about that. If it helps you to sort of leverage, you know, anything regarding me, I'm happy to. But that would really only be for, it's only been in the past for sort of close friends or people that I really know are great operators and have, you know, that founder magic that I was saying. I mean, I wouldn't really just do it on a business plan. What I will do is always help anyone I've ever worked with, and there are a lot of alumni at USHG um, who I'll spend however many hours helping them with their deck, helping them finish their pitch, helping them think about the model. I've, you know, two rules is one, don't waste my time, and two, I'm real candid, as I yeah. told you before. <laughs> my family's <laughs> kind <laughs> of no punches, saddest. And or I'll say I'm not really for, yeah. and I say I'm not for everyone. So yeah. I do want to be clear. Right. Like, I yeah. don't really want to spend an hour on the phone like giving you candy and rainbows. Right. I'm here to tell you what's yeah. up. And also it's one person's opinion. Like, I get, yeah. you don't need to get off the phone and be like, man, she's awful. Like, <laughs> my goal is to help you think about what someone else might, I'm trying to help yeah. you anticipate what someone, someone might say. say. Yeah. At least then you've heard it and you can decide whether you agree or not. But, So there's those two things. Um, And then from, you know, how do you get started? I really always think, one, you have to have your deck done. Like, do not approach anyone unless it's fleshed out. That is my biggest pet peeve. It happens all the time. You don't get a second bite at at the apple with investors, in my personal opinion. Whether that's a family member, whether that's a friend, whether that's a former regular guest, whether it's a former boss, no one wants to be pitched out with a half-baked idea because they don't have confidence they're actually gonna do it. So then it's sort of like, okay, why did I spend that hour with you? Like yeah. great. Call me when the deck is Asking done. So I tell everyone, is, yeah. deck first, deck you first. have no idea how many people in your network, if you ask them, can help, can help format. I mean any job, like even Josh, my husband, like in certain job interviews, I've always said to him, Let's find a friend who does graphics and have them make your submission for whatever this yeah, is, like look better. unbelievable. Right. Like that's going to take right. an hour of a friend's time who will totally help you, yeah. but it's going to jump out of that email compared to the 10 other people. It's the same with investing. I mean, the look of it, having it branded, having it tell a story, and in addition, having the financials really be vetted, having those numbers really be thought out, having your team in place. Like, yeah. it may just be you, but you're going to have to answer the question of, okay, you chef who've never run a restaurant and never really managed a P&L.
2: Yeah. Why you,
3: am I giving yeah. you a check? And your answer could be All right, I've got this person lined up. I can't put them in the deck yet because they have haven't another left job. Their job. Yeah. Or, you know what? I have three, my three college roommates are helping me. Like one's a banker. I mean, there's all ways to put it together, but you can't go in just pretending like, you know, you're just going to Hail Mary and it's going to stick to the wall. It yeah. just isn't. You have to do your homework. You have to put the package together and you really have to have a full pitch. Yeah. I do then think the second step is. And I tell this to everyone, most best investments, especially in the early days, come from people you know. Get in contact with former regulars. Like, if you're a chef of a restaurant, you should have at least 10 people that you see regularly that you know. So many of those people end up seating the person that left. It happens incredibly often. Sorry for any restaurateur, but we all know it's true. It's so true. And it's not mutually exclusive. I'm not, like, only investing in one restaurant group. I might invest in three chefs if I'm someone who does that. So that's one. Two is friends and family yeah. and thinking broader, you know, like send an email to that random friend from college you haven't seen in a while or like take them do to you know, coffee yeah, or and just, just, ask, just be you like, know anybody? look, yeah. I know we haven't spoken in years. You know, I've been following you. You seem smart. This is what I'm doing. But again, you can't take that meeting unless you really have the full package because it's impossible to ask them to take you seriously and go out on, on a limb, which is what you need if there's not sort of stable ground yeah. for them to step on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think business plan
3: is like step
2: one and making sure that it's fully thought out and you know, I mean, one thing that we talk about when we see business plans too is like you're not going to be profitable right away. Like there's things that people will put in business plans where you're like, don't put that in a business plan because it's not going to be true like, you know, just yes, some hard accurate. reality and- Yeah.
3: Well, and even down to like, what are you going to take in salary? I mean, that's I see right, a lot a of about chefs all the time. I see a lot yeah. of chefs put models together, and I'm like, and really? No You're going to pull one? Fi- oh no! Yeah. I see the opposite. Oh really? You're going to pull one fifty k? Like, I'm sorry, until you make money, <laughs> you should not be doing that. <laughs> I don't know. So I mean, think they should get paid at all. At first, I'm not saying not paid at all. Yeah. It depends also on the structure. If yes. you own most of it, and you right. own the cash flow. Then, no, you shouldn't be taking one hundred fifty thousand dollars base. Yeah, right. there's. 20,000 combinations yeah. but I just see I often see the opposite which oh, is so funny we see yeah like, but that's the... what I need and I'm like okay then you shouldn't be a restaurant entrepreneur because it takes risk and again if I'm your investor yeah. yeah if you're entitled to all the cash flow once everything's paid back and you're really the owner and part of the equity like I I don't know and then the other flip side of that is I see a lot of people taking salary who then have a full team on their p and I'm like all right so you get paid 150 thousand right you better be in the restaurant six days a week like or if you're not then you have to That's share right. some of that you some like of that yeah you can't have your cake and eat it too right you can't be an owner you can't be a lifestyle brand you can't be a chef <laughs> and have this whole team like at some point you know your payroll has to be logical for what the concept right, is the payrolls like a sort of a fixed
2: cost in a lot of ways where like you know if if you're not have you don't know, butts and seats, but you have this huge payroll, you're never going to make ends meet. So I think that's just something to be cognizant about. If well, you're not planning to be in the restaurant every day as a chef, you cannot pay yourself that kind of totally. salary. How do yeah.
4: these things change if the if the person coming to you has their own cash investment as well and inside? Does that change change your mind about some of those things, or because I don't know. most people are I mean, coming with just like an equity share, right? Because they don't have the money, they're coming to you for yeah. that reason. but.
3: I don't know. I don't think it's like a pay-to-play kind of scenario. Personally, yeah. I don't think that you having the money or not makes you more fit or less fit.
4: It's more of a like skin in the game, showing that you are like accepting the risk, right?
3: Totally. But there's also different ways to structure the risk. Right. Like I said, I mean, you can't take on no risk and then yeah. cut a market level salary. salary. I mean, like, yeah. that's that's kind of my point. Is right. yeah, there's all these different levels. You can put capital in. You can use sweat equity. You can work, you know, take the place of two chefs for the interim to make it. I mean, there's a million different ways. I don't know that you have to get so stuck in those details, but again, you have to flesh that out. Like me as founder, what do I want? Do I want to be in the restaurant all the time? Is my goal in doing this not to be? You know, what trade-offs do I have to give for that? I mean, an investor wants to know that you have thought that through and or are receptive to someone telling you telling the terms, you that's like hey yeah. you know yeah there's just no room for you to be
4: are there other things like that that kind of stick out and that you've noticed yeah
3: before? i think you know if we're really look i think first and foremost people look are they prepared yeah that's one does the business plan make sense does this concept sound good <laughs>
0: Right. You know, yeah. and do you want to eat there? To, you know? right. Yeah, like does it yeah. sound
3: good? Is the package at least somewhat branded? I'm not saying you have to have a design agency yeah. do it, but like if you're just sending me random pieces of paper or like a two pager, it just doesn't show effort to me. Like if right. this is really yeah. what you do and you want to do, it's the same thing. I want to see with their effort. eyes. It's
2: like you want to like make it's it look, more about yeah. effort.
3: Like if you know there are NYU interns that would help people, For there sure. are former employees right. that would take on extra work, there are friends that would help you, like. I hate when people say, well, I don't have the network, you know, so-and-so does. It's like, we all have a network. It's just about being creative. If you're
4: not willing to reach out to the network for that very beginning stage, then how are you going to fill this restaurant with
3: seats? And we talk about
2: this a lot with mentorship, too. It's the same thing. It's like, you don't know unless you ask. Like, you have to ask a mentor to help you. You have to ask your friends to help you. You can't be shy about it. And
3: ultimately, nothing can stand in your way. Excuses are, like the total antidote to getting investment like (laughs) you want to come up with excuses no one's going to give you cash that's the truth so so I think being prepared is one and I think two is um, I I guess the other question I ask people a lot which I'm always amazed you know, it's not like I'm looking for a certain answer, but I'm amazed how many people give a wrong answer. Like, who are your competitors? And they're like, no one. I'm like... Everybody has competitors. Plus like, no like, restaurant concept yeah. has never, ever been done before. Well, Everyone's copying yeah, like and uniqueness. iterating yeah. and interpreting, which is fine. Every famous chef and restaurateur that you know and love, I can tell you five places they got those ideas that, from. Yeah. Right. Like, not as someone who is a total research data... And just absorption inspiration junkie, our design team can tell you, yeah. like, I know where everything comes from. There is no, <laughs> there's just no we live in an iterative industry, and that is okay. Yeah. You can take a unique approach to something. True. But to look me in the face and say there's no competitors is like I know. I will ne- like that conversation stops right there. I'm oh, yeah. like, we're done. Right. That just doesn't show you're savvy because yeah. that is not Possible. I mean, we and like to say
2: competition is great. Like the whole theory is that like, competition is great because it makes you perform better. So if anything, it's like but even outside of that, another... if you really think
3: you don't, right. yeah. you're blind. You're it actually not has nothing to do with whether you think it's or... positive or not. Like yeah. you actually are blind. And again, yeah. that is not a founder that I would entrust capital to. Yeah. So that's one. And then three is what are the assumptions they're really making and are they reasonable and market tested? And again, that shows me look, that chef, restaurateur, that individual doesn't necessarily need to be a math whiz or know about restaurant finance or accounting, I, I want to know that they can find someone who can do that for them. Yeah. I actually don't care that you put together the model and sat there with Excel. I want to know that you're savvy enough to know that model needs to be done right. Yeah. And you need to be savvy enough to ask some questions, i.e. talk to people at the jobs you've worked at. Again, go to your network and be like, what are what are average sales in this neighborhood? Like What... What do you think is reasonable for labor costs? Like, what's yeah. payroll tax these days? Like, you just can't sit there and say, well, I don't do Excel or I'm not into finance. I just do the food. You know, again, excuses are going to talk you out, out of investment. So yeah. I want to know that someone, again, has a discerning and inquisitive eye, even when it comes to something outside of their realm of expertise. And I think you can't ask someone for money if you can't even question a and l and know that you know the basic line items and you understand where the market is. Like I'll see things like, you know, occupancy at a rate where I'm like, there's no place in New York where you're going to get that. So like the model, yes, is filled with assumptions. It's all made up now. I just want to know that you're at least realistic and understand the bandwidth of possibilities that will actually happen you know, and then stress test a little bit. So again, it's not that like you expect this person to be a financial wizard. Often the people that are financial wizards are really bad at this industry, (laughs) but it's again, being, you got to know what you don't know. And you have to be willing to get resources and stay curious yourself. Mm -hmm. Like you got to teach yourself enough of that language. Otherwise why be an owner and why ask someone for their money? It's, it's not, not a
2: fair trade. We talk about this a lot. It's like focusing on what you're good at, knowing who to ask when, you know, when you don't know. And I do believe that everybody should be somewhat financially literate. You don't have to be like a genius, like you know, and know like everything in the PL and what it all means to be able to put the model together, but you should be able to like li- be financially literate to some extent.
3: Again, how can you say to someone, I want your hard earned capital that's been taxed at a high tax rate, which right. means you really earned almost double? Yeah. I want your money and I am not going to do anything to be a responsible steward for that. Right. That's just not a fair proposition. So yeah. and it's a very achievable proposition. It's actually very yeah. achievable to have financial literacy. It's very achievable to find someone to help you put those things together and it takes that investment. You can't yeah. ask someone to invest in you if you won't invest in yourself.
2: And we have an episode, number 13. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we do. We did like a p episode. And actually, it was the last one we aired, but one of the most listened to, which says to me that there isn't, like people do need yeah. more help becoming financially literate and that it is really important to people. So I think that is a super well, cool thing. Yeah. It's
3: interesting. It's one of the things. I was actually just talking to someone a couple of weeks ago about this. You know, for every position we hire, we interview a lot of people. We're very particular. And it's amazing how many GMs, sometimes director of ops, I'll come across who interview with us. And I'm amazed. Like, they really have never been through a PL. And I'm, and they are like, a I'm lot a GM of and I'm ready for it. the second step. Yeah. And I'm like, you literally cannot read a basic P&L. Yeah. You aren't a GM. But they have given to, you that title, but that no longer. this sadness to restaurant
2: tours, like train your people on the PNL, and so that they can be better totally. stewards of your ship. I but mean, it's I also a
3: sadness of you're giving them this yeah. label that they actually aren't in, and then you're setting up for massive disappointment and frankly chaos amongst the yeah. industry because that title has eroded over time. It's like what used to be a floor manager is now. What people are calling GMs, and they're like, "Well, I gave the titles. I want to keep them." I go, "Well, well, then t- train, train them." I mean, I yeah. yeah. it's just not right. And then it's sad because then you see a lot of people who really believe that they were GM, and I'm like, "I get it. It's you had the title, the but you weren't." Too, and
4: we talk about this that totally you know, that you need to really you know ask for that information, ask yeah. for those those opportunities. We talked about this a little bit at lunch, but um, tell us why why people are investing
3: in restaurants. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, you know, again, I invest in tech, consumer products, marketplaces, you know, it's kind of a broad swath cuz my background's pretty varied, but when it comes to restaurants, look, I think people it's a very different proposition. You invest in, you know, a consumer product, at some point you're hoping there's a big exit and you make a massive multiple. But what happens is that person has your capital for quite a long, a long time. time. Yeah. And yes, there's a massive payoff and Ultimately, your goal is that it beats putting it in, you know, a market fund or putting it under your pillow or putting in a savings account. <laughs> Don't put it under your pillow. Don't. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. <under> my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know you hope that that has a bigger payoff. That's great. That's very different than restaurants. It's much more about payback period. People actually do get paid back within X amount of years that you are supposed to commit to. But then past that, it's cash flow sharing, which is not typical in any other business, frankly. So I always say, you know, people are looking as more of an annuity. It's more about like getting cash flow every quarter. And partly because there's not a lot of exit opportunity. Like there isn't a lot of, I'm going to sell my restaurant group in five, six years. Like very few are going to go public. Very few are going to appeal to private equity. You know, a lot of people I'm sure listening, you know, to your podcast too. It's like, this might be your life. Like this is your life's work, but who knows what happens at the end. So again, people are really looking for cash flow, not necessarily this like exit massive multiple bump. So what that also tells me is, so, then why do it? It's right. not for the financial payback per se. It's much more for access. It's for a lot of people about vanity. It's about wanting a place that's yours. Like you said, your yeah. friend who wants to yeah, take wants, his kids takes, anytime. Yeah. I would say, like most, a lot of people honestly invest for reservations access. Like they yeah. want to invest in something that's desirable close to their home, in their neighborhood, with someone they just really care about, which is why I say when you go out to investment, it really doesn't behoove anyone to go, frankly, for institutional investment. And no, yeah, not honestly, I really wouldn't go for debt either. I think, you know, a lot of people get really crushed by SBA loans in this business because yeah. the cash flow is so unpredictable and seasonal.
4: It's an but go point to friends and family
3: who, like, proximity. love you. Proximity, I feel yeah,
4: like, the is, proximity is an interesting to point. Is yeah.
3: Totally. Neighbors. It's I mean, like
4: good to walk yeah. around the neighborhood and, like, yeah totally. your to them. <laughs> <laughs> Slip but it under again, the
3: mailbox. I mean, if... It's you know, again, if that's really what you want to do, you want to open this restaurant to what Alex said earlier, like if you haven't built that network, how are you even going to begin to get butts and seats? That's, like yeah. it's right. just got to start way before. So I do think the profile of a typical restaurant investor, it's personal. Mm-hmm. It's about much more emotional connection than it is financial return. Again, they are going to look at the P&L. They're not like they're it's not, not a charity. Like, are not a check, right? Yeah. You know, they're not writing it off. But, no, they
2: want a cash flow annuity. Like you said, they're like, yeah, it's but,
3: like a, And they know it's going to come a couple years in. Right. So, you know, again, it's... I think it is so much about network and your own personal network and actually thinking more locally than people think. That's yeah. a
2: good tip. And yeah, so I guess when you're like thinking of who to pitch and putting these things together, like think locally, think of who,
3: who's like... And do your diligence. Special, like yeah. I always say to people, put together a target list, put it in order of priority, like who you think is going to be more likely or who might be the domino that gets other people I like people that idea, oh, yeah, like, then you
4: get the smaller check but with the bigger. Set the whole list, right? yeah.
3: set the whole ask, and also tailor. Tailor your deck for that person. Or yeah, exactly. Or tailor answers that you're prepared for. Do diligence on them. What else have they invested in? You may or may not know, but again, people like when you meet with them and you've done your homework, and I think they want it to be a personal experience, and if you want their money, you should deliver that. Yeah,
2: for sure. All right, let's take a super quick break to hear from our supporters.
1: This episode was brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with meeting and event spaces available for on demand booking. Looking for the next perfect outdoor location for your next gathering? host your next event at 100 Bogart's impressive rooftop, just steps away from the Morgan L-stop. It's one of the largest and tallest roof spaces in Bushwick, boasting 360-degree views of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. 100 Bogart's rooftop is available for your next networking event, fundraiser, special performance, or photo shoot. There's approximately 5,000 square feet, ample space for up to 100 guests. For more information on hosting an event at 100 Bogart's Rooftop, email info at 100bogart.com or call 718-362-3539.
4: Welcome back. Uh, again, we're chatting with Camilla Marcus of Westbourne, and we're talking about um, investments and what investors look for and what you need to have to be prepared to meet with them. Um, and we were just talking a little bit in the break about um, the the number that you do come up with, and what that should entail, and how uh, how prepared that is for the risk that comes along with what might happen during opening, you know, immediately after you open, and you're not immediately profitable. What kind of you know reality and numbers are you looking for, or do you see when when you're being pitched?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you know you had mentioned at the break and i think it's so true a lot of times people want to paint this rosy picture and they want the numbers to look just so to get the check but it's sort of penny wise and pound Mm foolish like yeah it might make that raise easier right then and there but it's gonna you know bite you in the ass later big time (laughs) and it'll hurt a lot more so you know like i said when i look through someone's model i want to see that they're realistic i don't want to see cautiously optimistic Mm -hmm. i want to see realistic I can do the inflation. Like, I understand upside. I want to (laughs) hear that you have contingency plans. So, for example, whatever you decide to raise, I want to know that you've spoken to restaurants in the neighborhood and you understand how much it really is going to cost not just to build but to sustain rent if permitting goes awry and what happens if the power goes out. You know, we had a massive power outage the day before Westbourne. Actually, someone wrote me an email from the community board um, 3 a.m. swear to God the day before opening uh, the manhole in front of your restaurant's on fire the whole place <laughs> may be burning you should get there and I go that email was super helpful I was dead asleep <laughs> so I looked at Josh I go do I run there right now or do I like get dressed and I'm like well if it's burned it's burned so I so might as get dressed so I showered got dressed and I was like 50-50 this place is gone and you know everyone's like you have insurance I'm like do I have 18 years of my or 18 months of my life, life back? Back, like, yeah. No. so again you know really thinking through what could go wrong, what kind of, you know, cushion you need mm-hmm. and what that costs, plus, you know, what um, you know, y'all alluded before, like there's runway that's needed. Like yeah. you will suffer losses in the beginning. You will be changing team members. Like it just there's a lot of friction, a lot that can
4: go wrong. Have you ever seen a a uh, immediately profitable restaurant? Out the gate. Do you
3: mean well, it depends also what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what you mean not profitable. No, not in the first month. I think yeah. you know, for most restaurants, it takes about six months to stabilize. Yeah, six to nine, profitable yeah. to me also is a misnomer because again, it depends where you sit. Are you making cash flow month to month? Yes. To me, profitable means you've paid back your investors personally. Okay. So I look yeah. at it differently because okay. yes, it's great you make cash, but if you're still putting in the piggy bank, you're still in debt. It's, not, right. profitable. it's not profitable. It's like yeah, it's actually not a saleable asset. Just FYI, yeah, yeah. that's what profit means to me. Right. right but hey a lot of great startups that get great valuations are not profitable so so again like i look at it a little bit differently than that but i do want to see you know this person has baked in cushion they understand runway they understand downside protection and they're really raising for that because what i very often see unfortunately is something does go wrong they didn't plan on it they painted this kind of unrealistic picture for everyone and then they're in the hole. The restaurant's not open, and they're like, "We need three hundred more thousand dollars." That's a terrible position to, do it. to be in. Yeah, and also most people don't want to do it because you've already, already proven to yeah. them that you you're are not, not, not financial the steward. founder. Yeah, you're not the steward. You're not yeah. the person. And honestly. Most people would rather cut losses, which is contrary to what most founders think. Wow. They think yeah. they're pot committed and the truth is I told you, they're the type of investor where it's not about finances, it's emotional. Right. Once they feel like this person is not their, you know, emotional ambassador of Quan, Right. A lot of them just want to cut losses at that point. That actually is underwritable. To yeah. Be that's true. That's so, true. You
2: write it off as a loss and you say bye. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I do think, you know, it's about understanding, you know, reasonable margins, reasonable build out costs, understanding what is really going to take all the things insurance, you know, rent, and everything that goes into mm-hmm. it that isn't seen by guests or anyone else once it's open, you know, is that person really padding it enough? And, you know, is the payback period reasonable? I mean, everyone's like, oh, you got to gear it towards two years. It's like, okay, but if you're not actually going to pay gonna someone it, back, I right? tell yeah. someone I want honesty above all. Right. And that's a person I respect and admire, the person that is straight up, understands, the downside understands what could go wrong is contingency planning. Like that's the founder you want to bet on. I don't want to bet on someone like I can make any model say anything I want. That's not the exercise. The question is, are you the person that really is going to navigate choppy waters, which it's always going to be in this business. So the more you prove to be sort of Pollyannish and, or what I call the salesman, it's not going to lead towards a good place.
2: Right. That cool. was a lot of good nuggets. So, yeah. thank you for being <laughs> I'm going to go so, back and re I know. Things. I'm like, there's a lot of. Uh, she
3: pulled I them. love yeah. looking at texts. It's my favorite. It's,
2: so, Camilla's email. No, I'm just <laughs> but, um, but no, that was. I, it's, thank you for the candid and honest conversation. Because I think, you know, one thing is people don't talk honestly about money enough and people don't know exactly what people are looking for when they start to ask for money. And that's a shitty position to be in. So,
3: I will I also say, fun. you know, on a semi personal note, you know, I never realized till I got older, like, money was not a dirty word in my household. My mom taught us about balancing checkbooks when we were mm-hmm. teenagers. Like, we talked about budgets. I mean, it just wasn't something I realized that people were very afraid to discuss and right. be open about. Yeah. And but it's hard I encourage everyone, yep. start with your kids. Yeah. Whatever you had put to the side and start with your own children. Like, it should not be something that is, you know, it's taboo or Get financially right. naked fearful. with your family. Totally.
2: Yeah, it's, so, it's so true. Um, yeah because a lot of people find it really really hard and like they're like embarrassed to ask for money or they think it's just this like like you said like a four letter word but it's not and it's you know that's how the world and the businesses work so all right, let's go into some lightning round these are meant to be like one to two quick one to two word quick answers Um, so currently what is your favorite dish on the Westbourne menu ooh hmm don't feel like it's like picking your favorite child you can just no i know it's been hot lately
3: so i've been really doing the sullivan chopped and i always add halloumi and falafel Mm. that's my move right now but it always (laughs) rotates
2: it rotates that's good it's good to have variety i get in
3: like a weird week i'm actually someone who hates pattern or routine but i get in like weird i'm very anti-routine it freaks me out 100% Almost like like 100% routine yeah. right here
4: I know my husband too <laughs> not I'm like <laughs> not <into the
3: routine. laughs> you'd be surprised that's my husband I'm like I can't I just I can't have everything be predictable but I do get in sort of like I don't know like cravings for a couple days yeah
2: and what about your favorite thing to cook at home
3: I really don't like to make almost anything <laughs> twice. Oh, really? It's really awful. So you're an
2: avid home cook too. So I am, yeah. but
3: I really love to just riff. I like to see what's at the green market or what's in our fridge. And even when I read recipes, I'm kind of like, okay, I get the gist, but like, I kind of want to do my own thing. I really, I told you, I really hate routine and pattern. Um, <laughs> so you never it cook this. twice. Terrifies me. Um, I do really like to bake. I love making doughs. I actually really have a secret baking knack. That's um, such a routine. I know that's such a routine of thing. thing. Yeah. thing no but it's different every time it, it's yeah. not you actually can i don't really yeah. use recipes all that well. <laughs> i know it's funny because every most savory cooks really hate pastry and i'm like they're actually the same thing they're like no it has to be precise i go but not really because temperature weather product you do variables. have to be able to look at something yeah. and be like okay that does not right
2: like i
4: riff on pastry but i have about a 60 percent yeah success
2: it's rate. true i can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> Um sixty percent better. I don't know. I'm face. never getting cookies again at <laughs>
3: home. <laughs> I also love um yeah, I like pasta. You know, like I said, it really my favorite is Sunday just to like go to the green market, see what's available and I Josh always calls it like top chef nights and I just, <laughs> I just uh, it's together. like quick fire. It's like what is in our <laughs> fridge, especially when we have we live kind of like bachelors friends laugh. We have like nothing in the fridge. I don't like to waste anything. So for me, it's like, if we're home and we're going to cook for a couple of days, like then I'll have stuff and we'll really just go through it as we do. I don't like to have anything wasted. So it often seems like no one lives there. So I'm like, Ooh, what can I put together with this like yeah. crazy compilation of things? So, um, it's never really the same much to my husband. He loves my chicken and rice. And I'm like, you literally always request the same thing. And I'm not, not making, making it that again. again for you. <laughs>
4: Alright, favorite business book? Shoe Dog. Shoe Dog. Shoe dog. Shoe dog. It, is. That? it is a good yeah.
3: one. For the biggest reason that I th- I always say I lament that we live in this, like, Zuckerberg shadow generation of why am I not in my career? Why have I not found my thing? I mean, I have friends at my age who are like, I'm past the point of, like finding my rocket ship <laughs> and I'm like it's so okay not true. most entrepreneurs start their businesses totally. in their 40s my so dad started is, at
2: 47 I mean there's so there is this whole
3: like Silicon Valley like totally.
2: washed well and like, load entrepreneurship that's not necessarily yeah these true.
3: tech companies and even some hospitality yeah. companies are led by really amazing young people and it makes everyone think that like you are just going to find it. If you haven't, you know, you're a loser. But yeah. the reason I love Shoe Dog is it's one of the most special brands. It's one that everyone knows, adores yeah. and has respect for. And to realize, like, he didn't pick the name. He didn't like the name. He never even wanted to create a brand. Like, none of it Start. He didn't he dream of Nike. just yeah. He just started with one thing. You yeah. build to the next. You bring on great people. And you kind of let it ride. That, to me, is the way... I think the best businesses are run and founded and developed just much more organically and not shooting for the moon every time. Like why Josh and I always say like, why can't people just, you know, hit singles and doubles and like rush, (laughs) you know, it's like it doesn't have to be home run or bust. Like we don't have to live in that world. So that's much more sort of my style. I like it.
4: Uh, One business resource that everyone should know about.
3: Ooh, I don't uh honestly people <laughs> I think Each it other. is the most yeah, overlooked resource in the world. You don't know ask. Yeah. Everyone is less than 6 degrees of separation. You want to meet someone? Get on LinkedIn, talk to friends, make it happen. I mean anyone is reachable i genuinely i mean even the tech table our team laughs i can't even tell you how pie in the sky crazy some of my dream speakers are and every single one has spoken and my team is like you're insane who comes up with like i want this famous person i'm like we'll figure it out yeah It, it takes 20 conversations it takes 20 conversations like i do think people because it's the best way to get real answers it's the best way to get candor and like I said, go talk to five yeah. different restaurants in your neighborhood. Go
2: talk to your regulars all the yeah. time.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's... there's just, I think people are the best resource. And I think so often, especially when restaurants are opening, like we did 20 tastings, mostly people we didn't know, mostly people who were not vegetarian. And, you know, I said, we want brutal feedback. We had like five page surveys. I mean, we really dug into, you mm-hmm. know, what do you want? What do you like? What do you not? I'm one person you got to get input. So I personally think people, more than anything else, and I think they're unfortunately so often underutilized.
2: I, I love that. I think that's so true. For sure. People.
3: Um, and people want to help more than you think.
2: People love helping. I know I have a girlfriend who's like trying to start an e commerce business. Don't abuse service. it. But yeah, but it's true. It's like, and she's like, oh, thank you for. Her. And I, I talked to her for 30 minutes on the phone and she was like, oh my God, what can I do to repay you? I'm like, nothing. You're my friend. And it's like really fun for me <laughs> to talk to you about this idea that you have and be honest with you about it. So I think it's so true. It's like people don't ask people
3: enough. Especially like, in our business, like thoughts. cook them dinner. You yeah. Know? Like bring them cookies. Honestly, right. like, Give it's amazing coffee. what food yeah. can actually trade for someone. Like. Right. Just don't waste their time. Don't abuse it, and ask the right questions that you really want to get. Yeah, at. be don't prepared for the, the conversation.
2: But, but it's like, but definitely ask most people. people are
3: open to at least a short chat. A
2: hundred percent. Okay, so next question: Who is a mentor, or inspirational, inspirational leader that you look up to in the industry, or it could be beyond? It could be any mentor from somewhere else.
3: Oh, I. Always, I mean, it's so cheesy, but I really I lean very heavily on my dad. My dad is. You know, he was a late bloomer. He founded his company very late. But my dad leads with a lot of heart, a lot of integrity. You know, it's not about, like, the last dollar. And it's always been about singles and doubles for him, too. And, you know, his company grew tremendously over 30 years. But it didn't start, you know. It was, like, one thing. And he said no to the opportunity four times. (laughs) He had, like, three kids in private school. He was like, I don't know. And it was a big transition. So he's one of the people because I think, and again, this is what I like about shoe dog, you know, I think we're also raised to think through HBO and showtime programming, (laughs) you know, that you have to be an asshole to get ahead. And (laughs) I've never been wired that way. And I was told again by a lot of bosses, a lot of colleagues, a lot of people on the way, like, you know, nice isn't going to get you anywhere. I think that's a good changing, person, though, with, like,
2: the recent reckoning of, you know, everything that's happened. In our, you would hope. You would hope that that's changed. I still
3: think that we look at really stellar, supersonic success as, oh, that person's ruthless. Or, yeah. you know, they're, like, winner-take-all. I like, all, I like the nice guy to win.
2: Yeah, but it's true. Yeah, but I mean, we
3: don't talk about those stories as yeah. much. Like, you read in a lot of publications. It's about, oh, the – I mean, honestly – you really want to go back to our industry, a lot of it's like, oh, this person's like a crazy genius. They're so wild and unruly and mercurial and whatever euphemisms we want to put on it because they're so creative and they're a total genius. And I'm like, okay, why does the genius have to come with that? Those are two separate things. Your personality and what you feel entitled to is totally different than your creative vision. And I personally don't believe they go hand in hand necessarily. And I don't want to celebrate those people. I want to celebrate people who... Care about their people, who create wealth for their people, who aren't just making all the money and everyone else is struggling. I mean, I, you know, I just, my dad has always looked at his team as a community. Their tenure is super high. I mean, most people have been there 20 years. It's just, and he cares about them as people. He cares about the business at a place that they feel respected. And I just value that approach so much. And I do think. Especially in tough operating businesses, people start to get cutthroat or they start to really get in it for themselves and kind of forget that, you know, you should be doing it to raise all boats. Like, and if you're not, and unfortunately in our business, that doesn't often happen. Yeah, It's very few people that then, you know, rise out of the boat and someone else is sort of paddling. Yeah. Well, don't, don't get disheartened to people.
2: I <laughs> like there are good leaders. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, but I, well, I think yeah. that
3: question's an important one because no, I also true. think you have to stick You know, you talked about which voices you listen to and which you drown out. I think it is about, again, people finding that person that shares your values and leads the way you believe you want to lead. And that feels right and authentic to you and talking to them, getting their advice, listening to them and drowning out the noise of leaders that don't comport with you. And look, everyone's going to appeal to someone different and just being true to yourself and finding those people, I think is really important. So you don't get disheartened.
2: Yeah. And you can be a nice person along the way. hundred percent. hundred percent. Nice it's,
3: is not a four letter.
2: It is not. Um, okay. So you are a world renowned speaker on how to raise money for the hospitality ventures. <laughs> give, us your, <laughs> give us your, give us your one line quote that everybody should remember. This is a hard one. I'm sorry. And I didn't
3: send I mean? her the. I didn't send her the questions. What in is, I'm not sure I understand the question. <laughs> what do you mean? What should people live by?
4: Yeah. Um, Inspire us, please. Oh, this is so <laughs> much
3: pressure. I think I'll go back to you know. I feel like I've said it a million times on this podcast, kind of inadvertently. So apologies, but this business is all about people. That is the truth. It all relies on humans and. I think you have to be your most human self to be successful. That goes to who you fundraise, how you fundraise, how you position yourself, who you attract, how you retain, who you take care of in your restaurant, who you position to, how you interact in the market. It's a people business. It is dollars and cents, and it is food, and it is design. It's all those things, but the truth is none of it matters without the people, and that starts with the founder.
4: A good there one. you go.
2: People first.
4: We're going to close on that and do some opening soon announcements. Yeah.
2: Anybody come to, it's called opening soon. So we like to shout out restaurants or people we know who are opening. Anybody come to mind?
3: I don't know any upcoming openings just yet. It's fall. It's like,
2: there's so many. Um, okay. I'll shout out some from, from the Tillet team. Hometown Miami is opening. So mm-hmm. Billy journey is taking it yeah. down. I know. Isn't that awesome? It's, I think it's close to the design district. Um, I forget exactly.
4: I forget exactly where it is, but I know firsthand from some of the people in Miami that they're very excited. Very excited for some great barbecue.
2: Very excited, and then Condessa and Philly is opening, um, which is a new Mexican spot there that people are very excited about. And then, not really an opening, but something happening next weekend is Feast in Portland, which is always super fun. And if you happen to be there, we will be doing a live recording of opening soon um and we will be previewing some interesting new products that are coming out
4: got some interesting new drop for tillit so uh yeah definitely if you're there come and find us pay attention keep your eyes open yeah uh special thanks again to camilla for kicking off season two with us we really appreciate it
3: thanks for having me
4: uh we'll post a wrap-up of today's show on tillitnyc.com we'll also send one to your inbox so make sure you get on the email list uh where can we find you on social
3: uh, at camilla.marcus and at westbourne and in
2: real life at the restaurant is at 137 <laughs> oh i was like in real life what's your home address what's that <laughs> <In> <laughs> i was real like life, jenny getting creepy. crazy
3: um stalker alert <laughs> 137 sullivan between prince and houston right in the heart of soha
4: cool um if you liked the episode about funding uh we hope you did i did and I, I was sitting here which is great uh make sure you tune in next <laughs> Make sure you tune in next week. Um, as Jenny mentioned, we're going to be out in Portland uh, for the Feast event, and we'll be chatting with Maya Lovelace of Yonder and May, and she took a different approach, a less traditional approach to funding her project. And so you can listen to our chat and uh, find out about her story. For us, uh, make sure you follow the journey on Heritage Radio, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere else you get your podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at We Are Opening Soon and at at M Y C. And if there's any other great feedback, advice, questions, things you want to know, then keep the ball rolling and please let us know and tell everyone you know. Tell your network.
2: Yeah, we love DMs, so direct message us on Instagram and let us know what you want to hear about.
4: Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kamala. Thank
2: you. Thank you so much.
4: This program is powered by Simplecast.
1: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.